Get ready, Louisville. MindFest is coming to town. MindFest Lou is hosting its first annual mental health festival at the Roots 101 African American Museum on May 21st of this year. This is a free community event infused with music, food, entertainment, art, yoga, vendors, panel discussion, and more. MindFest's goal is to break stigmas surrounding mental health, connect families with mental health services, and create a fun, family-oriented learning environment that promotes mental health. For more information or to get involved, follow us at MindFestLou on Instagram. Welcome to The Wondering Mind, a podcast where we have candid conversations in hopes to break mental health stigmas and normalize speaking up about our mental health. Through this podcast, we will connect you to a diverse range of folks from all around the world who have struggled with their mental health, but have learned to weather through the storm. By listening to their stories, you may begin to feel empowered, less alone, and you may discover new ways that will help you navigate through your own mental health struggles. So sit back, relax, and remember, everyone's story matters. Joining me today is Sierra Carter. She's the host of Run, Thrive, Survive podcast. We're going to be chatting all about her mental health journey. As is everyone's, hers is unique. She struggled with an eating disorder. She struggled with becoming obsessed with running and working out. And we're just going to dive into all of that today. She's going to open up and share all of that with us. So I just want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Emily, for having me. I'm super excited to be here to be on your podcast. And yeah, absolutely. Just like everybody else, it really, everybody has their own struggles in life. Everybody kind of goes through their own mental health journey, but it's always nice when people are able to share their story because you don't feel so alone. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's why I started the show. And I'm sure that's why you started. Oh, big time. We can talk about the same stuff if you will, like eating disorders, anxiety, depression over and over again, but everyone has a different story of how they navigated through it. And that's the point. And plus we want to talk about this stuff over and over again, because that's how we normalize it is just simply by having conversations. It is. And then you start to, I, I mean, I'm sure, I hope I'm not the only one on this. So like, tell me if I'm wrong, when you talk about it and like, even if you beat it down to the wall, you can be talking to the wall. If you just keep talking about it, talking about it, and talking about it, you actually start to see the trends, the patterns and start to, it. the path for you starts to open up. And on top of it, whoever's listening to you, they may hone in and be like, I never thought of it that way. And you know what? You're right. I do that same thing. And maybe I have to watch out for that. So it's always, it is a way in a sense of normalizing it. And it's a really good way of normalizing it. I think it's a really healthy way to normalize it versus other unhealthy ways that we could be normalizing it and just trying, you know, like if we were yelling at each other or beating each other down, that's not a good way, but like normalizing it, trying to talk it out and have an understanding is what this world needs. Yeah. hundred percent. And too, like when you talk about it and just have a conversation and just kind of break down those walls and share what you're going through transparently, it allows room for empathy to grow from your end and from the other person you're speaking to's end and vulnerability is a huge part of it. And again, like you said, we need more of, of that Yeah, more than ever. So I'm really glad that we connected because I love connecting with other podcasters because it's like we're a community and we're all trying to work towards the same mission and yeah it's just a beautiful thing so yeah right and kind of like you said like we're a community and we're all tackling that tackling it at different angles like I really love how your podcast is bringing people on to talk about it like you're normalizing the conversation 
that is incredibly powerful. And then like, in a sense, like over on my podcast, I can't say like, I I'm, I'm on the same mission, normalizing it, but I'm over here trying to say, you know, instead of using these um, prescription drugs and especially alcohol and drugs in general, how about we try taking care of our bodies in a way it take care, it takes takes care of our minds, like, you know, through physical means, through physical activity. And that doesn't have to be running. I know I focus on running, but you know, there's so many studies that exercise, cardio, anything actually has the same effects and can reduce symptoms of anxiety and depression the same way that prescription drugs do. But the problem is people think it's a one-time use and they don't continue to do it. So that's the thing. Like just like you're taking your prescription drugs every single day, you have to be consistent with your exercise routines and physical activity in general. It doesn't have to be a routine and I can't hammer that down enough. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome too. Cause like you said, different angles. So it's tackling it from all different perspectives and giving people a different insight and as to how to navigate it. So it starts with the conversation. Then it starts with, okay, let's make a plan of action. How are we going to tackle this physically and mentally and actually make moves to make the change within my life? So it's like ours go like kind of hand in hand, really. It's like, start here, go over here. <laughs> so Right. That it's like a map. It's like, okay, so you've got several levels. You might not be feeling good, but let's figure out what that is. So listen to these podcasts and then from there, how you, how do you branch out? It's exactly what it is. And it's a great, it's a wonderful tool. I'm excited to learn more about your journey. And there's a lot that you've been through. And a lot of it revolves around physical activity, which is, which is wild because, because you can use physical activity and working out as a healthy way to cope and work through and get your endorphins. But you can also cross that line and use it in an unhealthy way. I guess let's start there with how did you get into that and how did it become an unhealthy coping mechanism? So it's funny enough. Cause that's, I mean, that's pinpoint what I did. It went from something I used that was extremely, you know, everybody says you should work out for 30 minutes a day. And I was like, okay. And then I took it and I literally ran with it into the most unhealthy way I could possibly do. So long story short, just kind of giving you guys the ending and I'll tell you how I got there is I ended up when I was 17 in the hospital for quite a while. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say like months, but it was a, it was a good chunk of time, um, during March of 2015. And I was severely anemic. Now this is kind of a rare one when it comes to eating disorders. Cause usually before your iron and other things get, um, become a problem, you'll start seeing somebody losing a lot of weight. You'll start seeing like, you know, them not eating the behaviors are a little bit different on the way up to that. But somehow I was, I feel like and a lot of people said this, I was a way, I, in a way was able to hide a lot of those behaviors. And then I got to this really dangerous point where I almost died. So anybody listening to this, and I actually had somebody this morning, she was a medical health professional. I was telling her about it and she just couldn't believe it. Cause we were trying to compare my hemoglobin for my iron. It should be well over 12. It was 2.9 for people that know the hemoglobin levels they know that they're probably sitting here literally thinking that's not even possible. I should be dead. I've had multiple doctors when I was in the hospital tell me you should be dead. And I was like, well, I'm not. So like, what do you want from me? And you know, the person this morning, she told me her husband was literally bleeding out on the floor because of a hernia he had one time and his levels were at 4.9 and he was white as a ghost and he almost died. And I was like, yes, but I got there over a significant amount of time because I had this over-exercising and eating horribly. Like I was not in nutrients weren't even reaching my body and how it all really started was of course, like a lot of people and in your teen years, it's a very confusing time and it can be really lonely. It could be confusing. It can be, I mean, just any, any, emotion that you can pull from the air, you can like pinpoint it to your teen years. And it's just, everyone says it's the best time of your life. I don't think I would redo them for anything. And I think a lot of people say that they just wouldn't redo them. That was just too weird. It was just an awful time. I had, you know, my high school ex-boyfriend, um, lovely person, lovely human being that would call me fat all the time. And it goes, that goes straight to your heart when you're 16. Um, I was a huge fan of Taylor Swift. If you know her song 15, 
like that was my life. So I'm sitting here thinking I'm going to marry this dude. And he's sitting here calling me fat thighs and whatever, whatnot. And I look back on, like, I look back on my pictures. I'm like, Oh my God, I was not fat. Like I was honestly a little bit bigger than I am now. I will give it that, but it, it wasn't, you know, it's like hormonal. It's like hormonal weight gain. You didn't really know how to exercise. I quit sports because he wanted me to hang with him more in high school. I was a very codependent person and a lot of codependent people kind of are more, I, I, I don't want to say susceptible to mental illnesses, but you know, it, it, it's hard. It's hard because you don't have that strength within yourself. And I'm going to tell you right now, most 16 year olds, most 15 year olds are pretty codependent. They just want to be liked. That's all we want. That's all we want in high school. And so I had him telling me I'm fat. And, you know, of course I was trying to fit in and I was a lot taller than most people in my high school. I was like five, eight, five, nine by freshman year. And most people were not that tall. And so I already felt like the odd one out. And it took a lot for me to really understand what the heck was going on. And I just stopped eating. And I, I went from, I'm going to eat pizza every day with this guy. We break up and I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to be the healthiest person and he's going to miss me because I'm going to look so good. So I started eating only yogurt and drinking only chocolate milk for people now that know nutrition, that, that doesn't even make sense. All right. But that's, that's high school Sierra. And that's just how she thought she'd be healthy. And so, I mean, I used to eat warm chocolate chip cookies for breakfast. And now I switched 180 to only eating yogurt. I had some carrots here once in a while and I put fruit in my yogurt and I'd eat fruit and maybe a handful of trail mix and then, um, chocolate milk. This started my sophomore year of high school. Now this lasted until my end of my junior year. So it took about a year and a half of me on this diet to, for it to finally hit me in a bad way. Now, of course, beforehand, I always kind of had that like body dysmorphia where I would look at myself and think I'm fat. Um, the one thing that I've working with people with eating disorders now, and I've heard this several times and it happened to me, I would wake up in the middle of the night, almost in tears because I dreamt that I had a muffin top. And I think at that point, when you're having dreams, when you're having visions, when you're having fears that are that that's when you realize that you have a problem. But I didn't realize that because that's, there's no education on that in high school. It's just geometry college or algebra two, and just trying to get through your Spanish class, you know, useless things that are not, okay. Maybe not all of them are useless, but these things are not going to help us grow as people. They're just feeding us this information. Long story short, it went on. And from, I would, I grew up in New Mexico. I moved from New Mexico to Florida between my sophomore and my junior year. That stressor right there really did me in. So I was starting to feel kind of gross back in New Mexico where I was like sluggish, tired, and kind of out of breath. But the doctors, nobody checked my blood and they're like, oh, it's anxiety. Like they pinpoint on every single teenager. Oh, you have anxiety. Oh, it's just anxiety. And of course, like I'm sitting here, like, you know, anxiety comes from some kind of imbalance, whether it's in your physical environment or it's in your like actual, or like, I guess your physical being environment or your actual physical environment. And nobody wanted to pinpoint what anxiety was for me. Even my mom's like, what do you mean anxiety? You know, she was, she's fine. Um, but that's what they pinpointed it to. No, it was my iron dropping. So I moved to Florida and it gets even worse because obviously I want to look skinny all the time because I'm now across the street from the beach and I'm going to be wearing a bikini every single day of my life. So it got worse. I really restricted my eating. And this is when I joined my first gym. And man, I think I went to work out longer than I would sleep. I would go to the gym at five in the morning. I wanted to be there when they opened up. This is how crazy I was. And this is how bad this was. And nobody caught it. I would run or walk. So I couldn't, I actually couldn't run at this time because I was so weak. I would walk at an incline for like an hour. I'd go on the elliptical and then I'd go on the stepper. So that was about an hour and a half that all that would happen. 
And then I would go back to do weights. And then, you know, that would be about 20, 30 minutes doing weights. And then I'd come back that night to do a media workout class or a yoga class or something crazy. So I'm averaging like four to five hours of working out at the gym. And of course, everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're 17. You're creating such good habits. And everybody just loved me at the gym. And they just loved me doing this around school. And they thought it was the greatest thing ever. And then like, meanwhile, I'm over here actually slowly killing myself. It was a really bad cycle. So I did that for about, so August to March for the longest time. Now, this is kind of where it got really bad and where I stopped trusting the system and it got me into even more trouble. I went in to the doctor for a physical checkup because, you know, no, you're in, you're in high school. You have to have physicals once a year. And I told her I've been having these like migraine type of like tunnel visions. Like my, my vision would be tunneled where I could, I would see spots in front of me. I wouldn't have my peripherals for a couple hours. And then it would turn into that, that migraine. Anybody that's had a migraine has probably experienced this. I told her this and I told her my heart would kind of flutter once in a while. And she went straight into saying that I needed open heart surgery. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? I was, I was 17. <laughs> I know I, I tell this story and people are like, there's no way she said that. I'm like, she said that. And I remember 17 year old Sierra is sitting there on the, I don't know, the hospital table or the patient table and bawling her eyes out. Just like, I, I'm 17. I didn't want to come here, but you know, like who wants to go to the doctors and the years that they have a cardiac issue. And I'm like, I go to the gym every day. I'm just having issues with like migraines. Unbelievable. She hooks me up to an EKG and she's like, you need to stop crying. If you want this EKG to be like, um, accurate. And I was like, Oh, uh, forgive me for crying during this EKG. Oh Lord. So I'm losing my mind. I mean, it's because I was anemic. My heart wasn't getting enough oxygen, but it would pause faintly afterwards. And she's like, well, I just got to get this little heart surgeon, heart surgeon as fast as I can. And I was like, Holy crap. <laughs> you know, what is going on? So I'm losing my mind. I run out of there and I, I could drive at the time. My mom drove, I met her over there and she, um, I got in the car and I was like, mom, I'm not, I'm not going to a heart surgeon. I'm not doing anything. I'm leaving. And she's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to the beach and I'm not coming back. So I went to the beach and I cried for hours. And my mom's like, you should probably come home. We have to figure something else out. She's like, I just don't feel like that's right. And I'm like losing my mind and I'm dying. And I'm like, I might as well just die on the beach. Like that's what my mentality was. It was so bad. And so I come home and there, my mom's like, well, how about you go get your blood taken? And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I just don't even want more bad news at this point. Like it was horrible. And then finally my dad talks me off the ledge and he's like, how I, how about you go get your blood taken? He's like, cause it could be your thyroid. We have thyroid problems in the family. It probably took me about another three weeks. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I need to go get my blood taken. Cause I couldn't stand up anymore. I couldn't even like lift myself out of bed. I started having dreams that I was dying. Like I had dreams that I was suffocating creepiest dreams I've ever had in my life. And I vividly remember them that I was suffocating and I would wake up thinking with this feeling, like you need to figure out what's wrong or you're going to die. Like, I remember that happening. I finally went and got my blood taken. And the next day, cause it takes, you know, however long to get back to your doctor that already thinks I have a cardiac problem takes her 24, 38 hours, whatever it is. I went into urgent care. Cause I was like, mom, I, I can't even breathe now. Like I couldn't walk from class to class yesterday. This is getting really bad. I, I don't know what's going on. So she takes me to urgent care and they're just as bad as a doctor. And they think I have appendicitis. We need to get you to the hospital right away. And I was like, oh my God. And my parents are like, we're going to drive her. And they're like, are you sure? And we're like, they're like, yeah, we're going to drive her. Cause they're not even like convinced at this point. And they're like, oh my God, what the heck's going on? So I go over to the emergency room. While I'm in the emergency room, they got me in fast because they thought I had appendicitis. Like the urgent care called over that I was coming in with appendicitis and they're prepping me for surgery. And somebody calls my mom. So the doctor calls my mom. And I guess on the phone with my mom, the doctor's saying, you need to get to your daughter to the hospital. Her iron is dangerously low. While at the same time, somebody finally runs into the room in the hospital saying, Whoa, 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 whoa. We cannot operate on her or she will pretty much die because her iron is too low. Like if I lose any blood, my body will give out because I'm at 2.9 hemoglobin. Like I have suffocated myself. That was when we realized I had a problem. And that's finally when somebody actually recognized 
what the problem was. So it was actually kind of a gloriously bad moment at the same time. Now, nobody could figure out what was going on and why my iron dropped that low until they really started talking to me. And that's when I was, you know, you could tell that I was like, I can't go to the gym. Like, when am I going to be able to go back to the gym? Oh my God. And they're trying to feed me food and I'm freaking out that I'm going to get fat, you know, and the mental struggle. This is where it gets really like heartbreaking. You can see where it's like, my body is dying, but my mental, just my mental health has just been dead for a long time. And I'm freaking out that I won't even be able to go to the gym for like a few days because I'm sick in the hospital and I'm refusing food because I won't be able to work it off in the gym. And it was that moment where, you know, they transferred me to a a child's hospital because I was a couple months away from 18, but you can't touch somebody with a blood problem under 18 at the certain hospital. So I was transferred to a child's hospital and the psychologist came in and they started talking to me thinking, look, do you have straight A's? And of course, like at the time I had straight A's, I used to be at the top of my class. And they're like, this type A personality brings on a lot of eating disorders because you feel like your entire life is out of control, right? Your entire life may be out of control. I had a lot of stressors. My grandpa just died. I moved from New Mexico to Florida. And of course I had that lovely boyfriend calling me fat every day. And they were saying, those stressors make you feel out of control. So you control one thing, control the things that you can, and that's your weight and what you eat. And that in turn, because I only ate yogurt and milk and things like that depleted my iron. Cause I never ate steak. I was told, you know, go vegan. Vegans are great because they don't eat steak. It's really, it's, it's healthy for you. That's really not the case. And I'm, you know, I'm in nutrition and fitness. Now I will, I, I will try my hardest to talk my clients out of thinking about veganism, which sounds awful, but you have to have the iron that's in the meat or your body cannot process it correctly. Sorry. That was a lot. That was a long story. I'm so sorry. No, we needed the details. We needed these details. It's honestly a miracle that you're still alive and that, and honestly that you were able to function while all of this was going on. I'm the only child. So I didn't have siblings to even talk to when I moved here. I lost all my friends. And, you know, when you're in high school, you don't have those friendships that are like, oh, we moved away. I'll give you a call up and you talk to your, you know, best friend that you've been through everything with. You don't have those relationships in high school. You don't even know what that is yet. And that really had a big effect of me in this eating disorder, because when I was going through it, I was alone. Nobody knew what I was going through, honestly. And if you knew me, I was the happiest one at the school. And I would literally bake muffins and cookies to hand them out to everybody. So you, I honestly, I had a lot of friends. They, they said they didn't, wouldn't even assume that I was having trouble eating. I wasn't losing weight, which is kind of odd to say when I'm over exercising, but I think my body got to a point where it's like, it needed to hold on to so much, you know, to fat and everything. Cause it was starving. So I didn't actually lose weight or get like dangerously skinny. It was literally just my iron. So all the outside factors of me, you know, giving people cookies, giving people food, giving people pancakes, people wouldn't assume. Cause they probably think I was just eating them too, but I never touched a cookie. I never touched a muffin and I never touched any of that. I would just hand it out. And like, in a way you can almost say, That was my, almost like my cry for help saying everybody else can eat these. I don't understand why I can't eat them. Cause I, it's like, I wanted to see other people physically food to tell me it was okay, but I couldn't convince myself that it was okay. And it it was just looking back on it. There's so many factors that really went into this. And there were so many red flags. There's so many cries for help. And I think, you know, you look back on that now and you can almost see it in some other people. And I think it breaks my heart because it's, we're trying to find like roundabout ways in this world to ask people if they're okay. And you know, whether they admit it or not, because I would have never, ever admitted to you that I had an eating disorder or a problem. Florida, we have Publix. I don't know what they have, um, where you are, but they have Publix here and they give out, you know, little free samples. I remember her trying to give me a free sample and I think it had something to do with vegetables. All right. It was not bad food. And I remember looking at her and saying, I don't like food. That was such a huge red flag of my relationship with food is not good. Somebody needs to either talk to me 
or give me education of why food is actually good for your brain and not bad for your brain. It sounds like you were able to really hide this and honestly, without even meaning to, because I can relate to the sense of where you said you didn't want to admit. And even though you know something is off, you still, you don't know why. I mean, I felt the same way in high school about my anxiety and depression. I was a fucking mess. Like I was miserable. I was also lonely. Like I would be around people, (sighs) but I felt so lonely and I had no idea what was going on. So I can heavily relate to that. And I think right there, when you say you don't know what's going on, that, that really sparks a lot of emotion just because in high school, when I would think, so I, I never thought I had an eating disorder, right? Because when I heard people have eating disorders, the movies portray them throwing up in the bathrooms or, you know, doing all these other things. And people are like, oh, that's an eating disorder. And even at the time when I was in high school, like nobody ever talked about mental health. Now, the problem with that is I never thought an eating disorder was purging in the way of overexercising. That was, I didn't even know that until it happened to me. I've never even heard of that. And of course, like little Sierra was like, I'm going to be a psychologist when I go to college. And thinking back in it, I was like, well, it's because like, I knew I was struggling mentally, but I just didn't know how, you know, like I'm still screaming for help in every single way that I was like talking, doing all my actions, all my behaviors, just screaming for help. But like you said, you don't know what it is. And that's the biggest problem. High schoolers. Now, one of my friends was like, you know, you could talk to these 15, 16, 17 year olds. She's like, but you know, at some point we have to even go younger to 11, 12, 13 year olds, because that's when they're starting to form these ideas. And 15, 16 is just kind of starting where they're starting to show them. And that in itself is dangerous because schools don't talk about mental health. They don't portray it in a way where it's like, it doesn't have to be extreme. It can be just, you have an unhealthy relationship with food and you, you struggle to eat it like other people do. Like some people, like I could never imagine eating food and not thinking about what I just ate, like how much sugar was in that, how many carbs and whatnot. Now it's interesting because I had a friend she's horrified of being raped. Now she has had a past where this is kind of, could be an issue, but she's, she can't walk down the street without being like actually scared of being raped. Now I told her it's interesting because she can eat cake, not feel a, an ounce of guilt to this day. I still feel guilty, but I've learned the ways to cope with it. And her and I were explaining back and forth. I'm trying to explain this the best way I can. It's just weird how people have these different stigmas. Like I don't think about walking down the street getting raped ever. Like I I probably should be more aware when I walk down the street, but I've never thought of that, right? And she's never thought of being guilty after eating. But in vice versa, my worst fear is being or feeling guilty after I eat. So it's interesting because you can relate on so many different levels, but at the same time, when you're trying to relate to somebody, you don't realize that you have a different problem. I hope that all makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of like, your outlet was food and her session was that and being absolutely afraid of being physically harmed whether there was past trauma or not or she saw something maybe in a movie and she's like holy shit I don't ever want this to happen to me and then it just stuck yeah and I also want to bring it back to school real quick yeah because it was bad when we were younger I I don't even remember being educated at all in any shape or form about eating disorders. I think the only, again, the only way that I saw or heard about it was through movies. And you're right. It was very stereotypical. Thinking back to now, like how the culture has changed and formed and taught these kids that they have to be perfect. You have to have the perfect body and you have to have this stuff, and you have to look this way. I mean, I've seen kids 20 years younger than me, and they look older than me because they're wearing so much makeup. They're dressed like I would never have been allowed to dress. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. know. I've seen the, I I know exactly the people you're talking about. That's concerning. And also too, the suicide rate has gone up with the younger generation because of social media and the unrealistic expectations that they now place on themselves because of all the stuff that they see. 
it's sad. This is a really sad thing I'm going to say, but when I, between my, in, in New Mexico, where I was, where I went to school between my freshman and sophomore year, my two years, my first two years of call a high school, I had four friends commit suicide, four young friends commit suicide before I even got out of sophomore year. Now, of course, after that, I heard of like many more after they graduated. And it's those types of things where you, you just have to think like, it cannot be us failing ourselves, right? There has to be a point where, where is the education? Where was the help? Where was the education? And, you know, it's sad to argue. And I, it, but one of them was just so obvious it was going to happen because his friend was the one that did it six months earlier. Where were the people? Where was the, where was the help? Where was the education to really help tell these people that there's purpose, especially outside of high school? Like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't do anything super drastic in high school because that is just such a small portion of your life. And you saw your whole life ahead of you. I mean, like I done high school, college, and I'm like, what next? Like, where do I go? And I'm like, I still have this whole path ahead of me. But when you're in high school, you just feel like that's your whole world. And I think that's where the communication is off. But when we try to communicate with the high schoolers or even college kids, we're like yelling at them, which I don't think is even useful. Like, you know, when you're trying to tell them, if you have an eating disorder, stop doing this. And I'm just like, that's not how you should talk to them. You have to come to their level and be like, I used this example the other day with one of my clients, like sometimes it can be really, really hard to eat a sandwich. Like you can't even look at the sandwiches without anxiety because along with a lot of disorders comes anxiety. I personally would never pinpoint anxiety as an actual mental health problem by itself. When anxiety is there, it's because there's other problems going on. You have to figure out what those other problems are to see what your anxiety is caused by. Your anxiety, I like to think of it as a kind of like a guiding tool because it can tell you what's actually going on. But a lot of people were now inhibited by it of saying, well, I have anxiety and they can't do anything else. They, they, they stop right there. And I just don't think that's a way to live. But when you're looking at a sandwich, to me, I would think, how am I going to run this off? How am I going to work this off? How many burpees is that? How many sit-ups and squats? And you know, what is that going to do to my body? Like, where is it going to end up? Like, is it going to make my butt big? Is it going to make my arms flabby? Like what's going to happen to it? You have to come down and meet them at a level where you understand that. And there's ways to maneuver around it. It can be a problem, but you want that control and you want that education. I think education and eating disorders for teens and college kids is the biggest just gift we can give them. I hope that the more conversations that we have and the more information we throw out in social, on social media and the younger kids start to see that the culture begins to change. And I, I'm all for that. And I know people in my community are fighting for that right now. There's a couple of therapists here in Louisville that are trying to get into the schools and be there to educate. And they're also educating the teachers on how to navigate through with the students. I have another question regarding this situation because I know culture, again, it plays a huge thing because if you didn't see people before looking a certain way, then you would have had no expectations. If this person wasn't calling you fat, then it would have even been on your radar, but he was calling you fat because he had an idea of what someone should look like again. So it's all kind of stemming from this toxic culture that we have. Did diet culture play a part in this? Because I know that there's so many ads and, you know, companies that are throwing this shit out and they specifically target women way harder. Big time. So when I was in high school, this was the time that the Victoria's Secret models were like at their peak, right? Where they, you know, we had Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift was my huge idol. She was like, they were like at their peak. Um, she was on the runway with them like two years in a row and you just wanted to look like them. And I literally remember being on the treadmill thinking I'm going to run until I look like them. Now that's so incredibly horribly unrealistic, but you know, it was around that time where Instagram was just becoming a thing. People were posting on Instagram more. You wanted to look your best. Like I was in high school when Snapchat just started to become a thing and everyone's like, 
Did you download Snap? It's this new social media app or Instagram or, oh, Facebook changed its layout. You know, we got to have a cute profile picture. Oh, how many followers and likes do you have? That whole arena. I wouldn't say like, you know, the fad diets or the Jimmy Craig's or what those play the part, but it was trying to be as skinny as you possibly can along with looking as good as you possibly can for a social media that played such a huge factor because if you got less than, I mean, at the time it was like less than 50 likes, like you were a nobody, you had to have 50 or hundred likes. And if you had like hundred to 200 in high school, man, were you popular? And that was like what everybody strived to be. And you're starting to see that same thing today. And honestly, I couldn't even imagine growing up now with TikTok. I think I'd die. <laughs> People wonder why mental health is so prominent across the globe and specifically like definitely in America, but yet no one wants to question the things that are going on and what we normalize every day. There was that documentary, I forget what it was called, but it was on Netflix like last year. And I think it talked about the in-depth sides to Instagram and like all social media. Um, do you remember what that The social called? dilemma. Yes. I think. Social yes. Dilemma. Yes. And that thing's horrible. Oh my God. But it's crazy because so many people, it was like a fad. So many people watched that mm-hmm. and then that was it. Nothing changed. Nobody did anything about it. And I love it because so many people reference it. And they do nothing about it. I can tell you, I turned off all my notifications after that movie. I turned them all off. I was done. I was like, all right, fine. I'll just have to get on. And like, even once in a while now, I move my app around. So I don't have that same habit of just opening my phone mindlessly to Instagram, right? Because it screws you up when your app moves and you you lost it in your phone. You're like, where did it go? But, you know, but they're making it harder because you can just pull down that search bar and it's right there. But at the same time, like, oh my God, that, that move, you'd think that something like that would have done something for mental health. Yeah. I will say one thing. So I used to coach some, um, middle school, oh my gosh, that was the hardest years of my life and probably still is for most people, middle school softball team. Now I had a girl, her mother died over Christmas break. Okay. Her died. And this girl was like the strongest person I've ever seen, but she started crying one day in the practice. And I was like, what, what, what's going on? And, you know, like I, I figured like, you know, it's probably because she misses her mom. No, these like little crappy kids are Snapchatting her so that she can't screenshot it or notifies them that her mom died or her mom killed herself because they wanted to get away from her. I was like, you've got to be kidding me on Snapchat. On like what parents, like what crappy parents are letting their kids do that or even taught like, or allowed their kids to think that this is okay. And I was thinking, holy crap, I would lose my mind if I was growing up in middle school and high school right now. Like, I don't think I'd make it. I wouldn't make it because snap wasn't a thing till my senior year. I had many breakdowns in high school where I was just so frustrated because I didn't know what the fuck was going on. It's like your hormones and then all this other stuff that you're trying to work through the depression is so bad. It's like adding all that on top of it. I, there's no way there's absolutely no way. And so it's even more critical now that our generation speaks up and starts this process of educating, doing the podcast, mm-hmm. teaching people, whatever we can. Cause I feel as though like this culture, this social media culture is kind of a way to like control people in a sense the scariest thing is that's what social dilemma was about. Like, I mean, I I know nobody uses this term and God forbid I use this term, but that's the whole idea of new world order. I'm pretty sure that's social media. Like I don't, there's no other way to get so many people against so many different things and polarize them like social media has. It has connected us in such a terribly awful way that we all hate each other now. It's a mess. I will say it has done a lot of good, but overall- it's a disaster. And I, it's crazy. Cause I, um, I was looking on Instagram. It was a mental health account and I don't remember which one I can't, I can't remember, but it was a poll. And they were like, when you log onto social media, does it make you feel better or worse? And majority of the people that took that poll said worse. Oh, ouch. But because it's so ingrained in us now, it's like, we can't exist without it it's really built a, if you're not on social media, you're a nobody. Yeah. 
Right. right. Where it's just like, if you don't have a following, you're a nobody. And I don't know if you watch Black Mirror, but the scariest, the one, the two that have really screwed me up, like just completely screwed me up. They, um, have you, wait, have you seen it? I have not, but I have heard it's very realistic. Okay. Yeah. It's, it, it makes me sick. So I'm trying to like say this without having like PTSD. So there's two episodes and I'll try to explain them fast, but one is like your social class is based on your ranking in your social media and how many likes you get and people can sit there and rate you. So if you are mean to somebody, they can give you like four stars instead of five and your rating goes down. And so does your class in society. That's freaky. And then the other one that is, came, became way too true for, um, during COVID was people would get on a bike you get so much money or you get praise within a virtual audience. So if you're on a bike, like an exercise bike, you have your virtual audience that tunes in to see you like every morning. And they're like praising you and you keep going. And then when you get off the bike, they, they all shut down. That's like zoom. That is like exactly what we're doing in these workout classes. Now, when everybody's on their zoom workouts, I just like, there's something about it. It took me so long to do zoom workouts. Cause I was like, uh, uh-uh, no, I refuse. I refuse. I can't do that. So, you know, it's like these types of things where, you know, watch Black Mirror, you can kind of start seeing it's becoming true in society and it's becoming a really, really big problem that nobody is recognizing. Or we recognize, but yet we don't do shit about it because I can't figure that one out. I'm still trying to figure that one out. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, tell me when you figure that out because I'm lost. (laughs) So what have you been able to do now to keep yourself on track and not fall backwards. I mean, I know you probably have your days, but oh, yeah. what are some of the coping mechanisms that you use now in a healthy way? So it's funny. Cause I I've, I've been saying this a lot lately, um, especially if people I work with that have eating disorders and I tell them like, I've got good news and I've got bad news for you. The good news is it's not going to always be this hard. The bad news is you are always going to have the issue. Um, you can't just like reset your mind. You can't just reset your brain and be like, Oh, I just don't have an eating disorder. No, it, it, It's something that lingers with you for the rest of your life. Now I'm going to tell you the past. So this, that all happened in 2015, 2016 was a struggle of like learning new things. 2017, 2018, and 2019 were like rock solid. I almost never thought about my eating disorder ever, ever. And I had some pretty good coping mechanisms. I had, I got like a group of people where I didn't feel so lonely. I felt respected and happy. And at that time too, I wasn't working out to lose weight. I was working out for goals, like to run a half marathon, to run a marathon, to stay healthy for running. So like what I ate went towards fueling my run, not towards, you know, my body where I had to run it off. So I had to change my mindset to fueling my body versus working out to get off the food that I ate. But 2020, we all know was a disastrous year and 2021 really hasn't been that much better to be completely honest with you. (laughs) So newsflash, if you've had the better year in 2021, fantastic. Congratulations. A lot of us have not. And, um, so 2020, I actually, I was dating somebody and honestly, it was almost going on like 10 years. Like I grew up with this guy. We broke up at the very beginning of COVID. And that sent me spiraling two weeks later, the world shuts down because of COVID that sent me spiraling even harder. And then the thing that I worked for my hardest, the Boston marathon that I was going to, I used the past three years to not have this eating disorder, just completely vanished before my eyes. So like within the span of three weeks, my entire world just shattered. Oh, on top of it, I have, um, I'll just give an example. I was going to graduate with my master's, no graduation, you know, all these honors, things that I was going to be awarded for, none of them just all up in flames. Like it was like my, my dream job on top of it, I was working at Johnson and Johnson. They went internal. They, they just canceled all our contracts, everything within like three or four weeks. So in this time I spiraled and I only focused on my weight and I only focused on my eating. And now I knew I was doing this my eating disorder was my coping mechanism for all this like terror that was going on in my life. So then a couple months went by and I started realizing I'm over-exercising again. My body's not recovering. I'm exhausted. My running is crap. I'm not ever going to be able to run Boston again if I keep this up. And I had to start pulling myself out in September and just like really like trying to hold on to myself. And I had to flip that mindset again to, I got to fuel my body for my runs or for my workouts. I don't have to work out because I ate. 
So again, it's that mental note. And now how, how do I do that? I do a lot of like journaling. I actually, I do journaling in a little bit different way. Cause I don't like to write. I like to talk. That's why I'm a podcaster. So I actually have a bunch of um, notes and recording notes in my phone. That is just me literally talking to myself. Like I'm a therapist, which sounds really funny, but honestly, when you're the only child, it's normal to just talk to yourself. I mean, I think it's for anybody. It should be normal, but I guess as an only child, you know, no, nothing better. And so I would talk to myself in my notes and I could see the trends where, you know, here's me really, really unhealthy and spiraling and just lost in life. And then like slowly starting last January, I'd slowly come out of it. And then like, of course, this year I had a whole different load of problems. And the past few weeks I went back because it's been kind of crazy. I went right back into that eating disorder, even the past few weeks. And I saw it because I went out for pasta. I had to run it off the next day. So here I am again, right now, even to this day, I'm back to making, going through my mental notes, going back through my notes on my phone of talking my way out of it, recognizing and labeling the behaviors that are eating disorder behaviors. A lot of us like to push them away and be like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not my problem. No, me saying that I need to run this off the next day. That's an eating disorder. I need to label it and I need to not do that. You know, I need to, I need to shift my mindset here. Another one would be, not eating after a run because I feel like I'm skinny and I don't want to add food to it. Nope. I need to get in the habit, you know, label it. That's an eating disorder problem. I need to get into the habit, label it and make sure that I eat or at least have like a protein shake after I run. So my body is fueled for my runs and I'm not trying to just run off the food. It's a really hard shift, especially when you see yourself gaining weight. It can be a very hard mental struggle, but you have to find those ways to identify label and maintain going forward when life is falling apart. You explained that so well. Oh, thank you. That's exactly what I've done over the past year and a half is I've, I educated myself on depression, anxiety, and ADHD, (gasps) and I learned more about it because once you do that, then you start to recognize the things within yourself. And I did label it. It's a mental thing. I I think like if you label it, then you can you know, work towards getting rid of this specific thing, your coping mechanism. So it's like, you're able to catch yourself now as where before you couldn't. So I do the same thing. So when I notice that I'm burnt out or I'm spiraling or whatever it may be, I can recognize that. And I know, Hey, I need to rest or, Hey, I need to do this or whatever it may be, but it takes time. And I really admire your transparency and saying like, Hey, I'm still struggling right now Yeah, because unfortunately it doesn't ever go away. It's just at this point, it's a part of who we are and we just have to learn how to navigate through it and around it. And I'm right there with you. Like I struggle all the time with depression and ADHD every day. Like that will never not go away. (laughs) It's crazy because I haven't had anyone explain it exactly how I do it also until just now. So that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. See Again, go opening up those conversations. You never know what's going to help somebody else, Mm -hmm. but no, I like, I think one of the biggest misconceptions, biggest misconceptions as somebody that's a young adult is you think, and this is such a hard realization. Like I hate saying it, but like at the same time, I mean, maybe hopefully I'm wrong. I don't know, but you, we think when we're younger, you have to be happy, right? You have to feel okay all the time. And that is just so far from the truth, because to be honest with you, that's why I think that's why I was like borderline eating or I was, had such a bad eating disorder. And I was also borderline depressed. Like, I don't think I would put myself in the depressed category, but boy, did I struggle with a lot of different moods. And to be honest with you, I was more depressed. And I was like, well, why can't I just feel okay? And you know, and I talked to somebody else the other day and they're just like, I didn't understand why I just didn't feel okay. And to be completely honest with you, I don't think we're ever going to fully feel okay, but we're definitely going to have coping mechanisms that are going to make us feel better, at least comfortable and calm. Um, there's always going to be times where you feel conflicted, where you don't feel safe. But at the same time, when you're able to use those coping mechanisms, instead of, you know, unleash really bad behaviors and really bad habits, 
it can be comforting and it's a way to manage it. So, and I think in a way when we tell, we should be telling people finding ways to cope and manage everything that you deal with in life is your ultimate goal. Your ultimate goal is not to be happy, blissful, and never have a bad day in your life because that's such a huge misconception. And it's a sad reality, but at the same time, it should be a sign of relief that it's okay to not be okay. Oof, that hits home. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, oof. But it's true. And again, that's just another thing that us as a society feel that we have to live up to. And it's portrayed, you know, across the board, like everyone's living a happy life. Everyone has it together. Nobody fucking has it together. Nobody does. Nobody does. No. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to tell you we all did. Nope. Nope. Not at all. (laughs) Especially on social media. Just no. (laughs) It's all a highlight reel. I ask a lot of my guests this, it's kind of a loaded question, but what is like the biggest takeaway that you have learned or are continuing to learn as you still go throughout your mental health journey? Man, that's, that's a good, that's a great question. I would honestly say my biggest takeaway is I would say you have to take it day by day. It's, it's not one of those things that you can predict to be completely honest with you. It's just, it's not predictable, especially if you're dealing with anxiety and depression and other things, it's not predictable. One thing can trigger it. And you might not have even known that one thing was going to trigger it. Cause like, obviously if you think you're going to walk into a trigger, you're going to like walk away because you're like, I can't do this. Yeah. No, one thing could just set you off. I mean, there are things that have triggered me about my ex that have set me off into a spiraling eating disorder or like the, the behaviors again. And you, it's just like, you just don't know when it's going to happen. So you just have to be aware day by day. Don't think too far in the present. Don't think about the past. Literally just take it and be thankful that you're doing good today because tomorrow might not be a great day and that's okay. Yeah. Then we have those days, but just think about it today that you're okay in the moment and then just take it day by day. Excellent advice. And I think a lot of people are going to find comfort in everything that we talked about today because we covered a lot and it was really raw. I felt like this conversation touched on a lot of really, really, really relevant and important things. So I want to say thank you for joining me on the show. I know we've been trying to do this for a long time and we finally did it. I'm so so proud of us. Thank gosh. (laughs) It's just life, man. That's just life. That's how it goes. You kind of got to flow with it. So I appreciate you for taking your time and being patient and, and joining me today. Well, thank you. I appreciate coming on this podcast. I love it. I love what you're doing. And I just, I hope you keep it up because you motivate me too. Thank you. I like that because we motivate each other and like we build this community, make it stronger. And that's what we got to keep doing. It's like our purpose. So yeah, thank you. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Wondering Mind podcast. Until next time, maintain your brain. Keep on wondering.